Children's Church today so she can shout hallelujah, hallelujah. without having putting the handcuffs on them. <laughs> Those of you with children know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but hey, you, you got to do what you got to do. And so we praise God for that. Today I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. What book did I say, everybody? Revelation chapter 5. As I'm getting older, I need to use glasses. Y'all just pray for the preacher. Lord, have mercy. It says here in John, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 5 and reading from verse 5. Well, let's read from... Verse number three, when you have it, say amen. amen. It says, and no one in heaven or in the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Amen. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to even look at it. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, David, and the son of David, or the uh, root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung, uh, what kind of song, everybody? New song. New song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and uh, tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a what kind of voice everybody? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. Praise the Lord. Today, I want to speak to you from the subject, the value of the lamb. The value of the lamb. It seems to me recently that... <clears throat> I don't know why this is happening, but it seems we're getting away from the crux of the gospel. And I don't know if you know it or not, but the crux, the center, the essence, the fact, in fact, foundation of the gospel is Jesus. It alarms me today that many are creating or coming up with 
gospel songs that never even mention the name Jesus. Now, you can have good, nice songs. You can have wonderful, positive songs. But if it doesn't mention Jesus, it ain't a gospel song. Because gospel is good news. Somebody say amen. And the only good news that this world will ever have is the good news of Jesus. And so today it is my mission. It is my uh, calling today, if you will, to lift up the name of Jesus, to refocus us on who Jesus is and what he means to us. Is that all right? So if you don't like Jesus, you might not want to be here for the next few minutes. But if you like him, you're going to be able to shout. Come on, say amen. Because it's about Jesus and only Jesus today. Let's meet the Lord as we bow our heads this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to serve. Most of all, we thank you this morning for your son, Jesus. He means everything to us. Father, I'm asking that you would give me the anointing, give me the calling, give me Lord, the work and the responsibility right now to uplift Jesus in this place. Remind us of why we are even here this morning. Teach us and show us and reveal to us Jesus in his perfect purity and power, not because of me, Father, but because we want to glorify you. Do this, for we ask it all in the worthy name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ. We do pray. Everyone said, amen and amen. <clears throat> the value of the lamb. <clears throat> we love putting people or things in place of God. God told his people when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But for some reason, we love to put people and things still, even now, in place of God, especially when it comes to our praise. I've discovered that we love to exalt people because it makes us feel better about ourselves for having known them. We exalt the popular and the powerful because it makes us feel like we're close to them. We also shower our praise and elevate others because we want to have control over them. We say things like, remember, I'm the one who got you where you are. But who is worthy of our praise this morning? Who is the one who can be trusted this morning with our admiration and our loyalty? Who can be entrusted with our worship and our devotion? Is it Barack Obama? Somebody say no. Is it Beyonce? Somebody say no. What about championship, NBA championship player LeBron James? Is he worthy of our praise this morning? 
What about us? Can we be trusted this morning? Are we worthy to receive praise this morning? My answer is an emphatic no. For the Bible tells us that we cannot even trust in ourselves. For Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. In other words, it's sick beyond repair. We don't know what you'll do. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 3, Solomon says, The heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after they go to the dead. Afterwards, he says, they go to the dead. In other words, Solomon says, it's best that we don't even live. We ought to just wake up and then die, because all we have in us is evil continually. We cannot even trust ourselves, and yet we still desire to put people up on a pedestal. In our world, the one who is considered worthy is the one who is the most talented, the one who can sing with the best vocalists, the one who ascribes all power to himself, the one who makes the most money. The one who's the most popular and the most visible. It's the gifted ones that get all of our praise. They're the ones that we consider worthy in our natural eyes. It's the one who has complete control over everything he touches. The one who garners the most attention from all the passers-by. We tend, ladies and gentlemen, to honor and to uplift those who trample over their enemies and who appear fearless in battle. We exalt those who look the best, who wear the best clothes, who garner the most expensive jewelry, and who sports the latest fashions. But in the kingdom of heaven things are a little bit different. One day, as Jesus and his followers were walking through Galilee, his disciples were arguing amongst themselves. When they made it into Capernaum, this disagreement came to a head, and Jesus was forced to confront them. Don't you love it when Jesus confronts you? And he said, he asked them, what were you discussing while we were walking along the way? And ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that they were seeking amongst each other who would be the greatest. And Jesus' response is most telling. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 35, he says, He sat down and called the twelve among him, and he said, If any man desire to be first, the same must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus was declaring a fundamental truth and a fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. The way to go up is to go down. The way to true rulership is to serve others. In heaven, the one who's most worthy is not the one who's being served, but it's the one who serves the most. The worthy ones are the ones who consider everyone else of more value than themselves. Matter of fact, it was Paul who said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in all lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. 
Paul says that this is the exact same mind that Jesus had. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He esteemed others better than himself. Well, nobody wants to hear that today. But it's the truth anyhow. Think for a moment, what would it be like? What kind of church would it be if we just followed this one simple rule? If we all esteemed everybody else better than ourselves, what kind of church would it be? Let's throw everything else out. We don't even want to deal with anything else. No more rules. Just one rule. Just hold everybody else up higher than yourself. What kind of church would it be? If none of us lived for ourselves, if we sought only to live solely for the good of others, what kind of church would it be? Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, people tripping over each other, trying to help one another in the church instead of trying to beat each other up in the church? Can you imagine young people in our church making sure the elderly were first honored and last forgotten? And can you imagine elderly members in our church mentoring our young people and with love and compassion instead of complaining about their music and their dress? Can you imagine the drug addicts and the homeless and our newest members being given first seats in the sanctuary and then the members would come behind them after they've gotten comfortable and sit down later? What kind of church would that be like? Instead of running around talking about this is my pew, you on my row. Honey, I don't see your blood on this row. I wish I had help in here. All I see is Jesus. Come on, say amen. Can you imagine a board meeting, ladies and gentlemen, where no one is arguing because the people are too busy trying to listen to one another? The Bible says we've got, uh, uh, we are taught just by science that we've got two ears and one mouth. That means be fast to listen and slow to speak. Somebody say hallelujah. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, a business meeting where the police had to be called because it was too much praising going on in the church of the living God at business meeting. Instead of meeting together to find out who we can kick out first. Are y'all with me today? Heaven, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know is exactly like that. Heaven is a place where the most exalted are the most humble because the Bible says in Luke 14 and verse 11, for whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased and whosoever then shall humble himself shall be exalted. The book of Revelation tells us about the prophet John who is caught up in a vision from God. He's brought into the throne room of heaven where the creator of the world rules the entire universe. In one of the most dramatic scenes in all of scripture, John sees God the Father himself holding a book of destiny in his right hand. Within the pages of this scroll in the right hand of God is found the final destiny of human history. Within this scroll are the names of those who will be seen in the Lamb's book of life. It's revealed the desperate, uh, it reveals as well the last desperate 
last-ditch effort of the devil and his demonic forces to destroy mankind and to ruin God's plans. The outcome of the great controversy between Christ and Satan is sealed up behind seven seals in a scroll in the right hand of God, and everybody's waiting for somebody to open the book. A search has been conducted throughout the universe to find somebody who can open this scroll. Are y'all with me today? But to John's surprise, nobody can be found. They looked all around. They couldn't find anybody. They looked all down on the earth. Nobody could be brought. They looked even in heaven, even among the angels. Nobody could open the book. So John is heartbroken, and the Bible says that he weeps bitterly. But then all of a sudden, one of the heavenly messengers steps forth and, pro- and announces that someone has been found to open the book. His name is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is, ladies and gentlemen, the Rose of Sharon. His name is the Root of David. Somebody say hallelujah. He's the anointed one of the Root of David who comes with victory in his hands and conquering on his vesture. He has prevailed in all his works. John finally captures a vision of the one who is here and who is found worthy to open the book. And he looks and he's looking to see if it's some great big general. He's looking to see if it's some massive president. He's looking to see if maybe if it's an army or somebody. Who's here to open the book? And he looks, ladies and gentlemen, and when he sees, he finds a lamb slain. What's so worthy about this lamb? How can this lamb be the only one who can open the book? The lamb is Jesus. He's the son of God and he's the son of man. Jesus, the root of David and the baby son of Mary. Jesus, the son of Nazareth and the son of Egypt. Jesus, born in Bethlehem and a son of Egypt. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Somebody say hallelujah today. Why is the Lamb worthy? Question today. Why is the Lamb worthy today to open the seven seals and open the book of destiny? I'm going to give you three reasons and I'm going to let you go home. Is that all right? What's so worthy about the lamb? The first worthiness of this lamb, the first thing that's worthy about Jesus is he's worthy to control earth's final destiny because Jesus became our sacrifice. Revelation 5 and verse 9, are you with me today? It says, they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals for thou was slain. Revelation 5 and verse 12 says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Jesus is worthy, and he's worthy because he is the sacrificial lamb that was slain for us. Somebody say amen. Jesus is the lamb, ladies and gentlemen, and he died on our behalf. The picture is given in scripture of a lamb that had to be brought before the tent of sacrifice in the wilderness. 
The altar has been prepared, and the one to be slain is an innocent, humble, defenseless, white fleece victim waiting to be slaughtered. There is no reprieve, and there's not going to be a last-minute call from the governor. The lamb is going to die, and he's going to die by no fault of his own. The lamb's time is up. And the Bible says this in Leviticus 4 and verse 27. God revealed to his people through Moses his ultimate means of salvation. He said this, if a member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, he is guilty. He's what, everybody? When he, listen, he says, if you break my law and you don't even mean to break it, you're still guilty. When he is made aware of his sin he, that he committed, he must bring as an offering for his sin that he committed a female goat without defect. He is to lay his hands on the head of the goat as a sin offering and slaughter it at the place of burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it in the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour it out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. The Israelite sin offering expressed in Leviticus 4 pointed to God's way of setting us free from our sins. Hallelujah. In ancient Israel, the people daily brought their sacrificial lambs to the sanctuary, and there they pressed their hands on the head of an innocent victim, confessing their sins before God. Then they would slay the lamb, showing their faith in the future death of the Son of God. But hallelujah, today, if we sin, we simply ask God to forgive us of our sins because Jesus has already died to pay our sin debt. Somebody say hallelujah. We don't have to bring a lamb. He's already been brought for us. Thank you, Jesus. But before Calvary, they didn't have any sacrifice to look back on. So they had to bring a lamb and look forward to the time when the lamb of God would die for them. By the act of sacrificing an innocent animal, they acknowledged their faith in the coming Savior who would die to make it possible for them to have forgiveness. Then their sins would be symbolically transferred to this uh, uh, innocent animal, and then God's business would be to deal with our sin when it went into the sanctuary. The picture that John paints of the lamb having been slain was a reminder to them and to us of what it takes and what it has taken for Jesus to do what he did for us. He went through huge tribulation. He went through immense suffering and pain. Horrendous turmoil, intense loneliness, and extreme agony, all for us. He was bruised and bloodied and burdened for our sakes, not for our own, not for his own. The sin offering of Israel emphasized blood throughout the entire process. Putting blood on the horns of the altar, putting blood everywhere. Blood was a huge staple in the sacrificial system. What's the deal with all this blood? Leviticus 17 and verse 11 tells us. Are y'all with me? Turn with me here. Leviticus 17 and verse 11. What's the big deal with all this blood? Notice what Leviticus 17 11 verse, uh, and verse 11 says. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your sins. 
for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. This text tells us three things about the blood of Jesus. How many things, everybody? First of all, the blood is a symbol of life. It's not the blood that's flowing in the veins, but it's the blood that's poured out of the veins that represents the life of an innocent victim. It's the victim's loss of blood that reveals where life is. It is by causing an animal to bleed out that its life is taken from him. And so it was with Jesus. His life was in his blood. One writer said that Jesus was so bloody and so bruised that it looked like he had been in a wine press working for a week-long stint. He was bloody, purple, and, and, and black, and ugly when he was up on that cross for you and me. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, but with his stripes we are healed. Somebody say amen. The second thing it tells us about the blood is that the blood, it's the blood that makes atonement for our sins. It is only because of the victim's life in the blood that blood is able to make atonement for sin. One's life is spared while another's life is sacrificed in its place. So there's a transition of positions. It is the lifeblood that becomes the substitute for our lives as a penalty for our sin. Are y'all with me today? The sacrifices of Cain and Abel reveal to us the atoning nature of the sacrificial offering of Jesus. We know the story of Cain and Abel, amen? One, the older brother, brought a le- brought, he, he, he brought some fruit. Am I right or am I wrong about it? And the younger brother, Abel, brought a lamb. Are y'all with me? The lamb, ladies and gentlemen, offering represented the sacrificial death of Jesus. That's why God asked them to bring a lamb. But Cain said, I'm going to bring the best I know. I wish I had help in here. I'm going to bring whatever I feel like bringing. Come on, say amen. He said, I'm going to bring the fruits of my labor. Yeah, he tends sheep, but I'm going to bring some fruit up in here. Are y'all with me today? And the fruit offering represented, ladies and gentlemen, a praise offering to the creator. Are y'all with me? While this was a wonderful offering, it was not good enough. You had to have a lamb offering. A lamb offering. Are y'all with me today? In other words, see, Cain thought that he could praise his way into heaven. He thought he could praise his way into the throne room. But God said, I don't need your praise. What I need right now is for you to bring a lamb. What I need right now is for you to bring a substitute because you can't come in here with your own works. And some of us think that we can come to church, praise God, and go outside the church doors and do whatever we jolly well please. And what we need to understand is, is that Jesus has made a transition of positions. In other words, Jesus has transferred his life to ours. I wish I had help in here. And so when he gives us his life, he says, now live my life in replacement of your life. Because I'm living my life, because I've died in replacement of your life. I wish I had help in here today. 
What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this, ladies and gentlemen. It ain't nothing wrong with praise. Somebody say hallelujah. But you better know what you're praising God for. You need to know what it is that Jesus has done for you. Come on, say amen. And some of us are praising God, and we have not even appropriated the spirit of God and the nature of God and Jesus, the son of God, in our own lives. And we have no reason to praise Jesus because we don't even believe that Jesus has done what he said he did. Jesus has set us free. I wish I had help in here. And when he sets you free, he gives you grace to live life in complete conformity to him. Come on, say amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we can praise all day, but we need to know what it is that we're praising about. Come on, say amen. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, Psalm 34 and verse 8, David said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Somebody say hallelujah. He said, what you've got to do first is you've got to taste him. I wish I had help in here. You've got to taste Jesus first. Then you'll know what kind of savior he really is. Then you can praise him out of natural response to what he's done. See, we didn't got to cheerlead you into praise. We don't have to get up here and do calisthenics for you to get all happy. If you know what Jesus has done for you, as soon as you hear the name Jesus, you lost your mind. You ready to roll with Jesus. You ready to praise him with everything you've got because you know it was Jesus that did it for you. That's why I don't have a problem lifting Jesus up because I know it was him. Come on, say amen. See, the problem with us, let me tell y'all something. The real problem with us is we think we're better than what we are. See, we, we think that we're all right, that we don't really need too much of his blood. Now, that brother over there on the piano, he really need Jesus. But me over here, I'm fine. Just give me one drop, Jesus. But we need to be like Peter. Lord, give me a bath in your blood. Clean me up from the inside out. Some of us are too high-minded. We're too proud in our own works. We think we're fine because we come to church on Sabbath. We think we're covered. Are y'all with me today? You Listen, you can come in here with all the works you got. It still ain't going to do nothing. You better have the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves us. Somebody say hallelujah today. Jesus is the one who delivers us. Somebody say glory to God today. And we can't come in here praising God and don't even know the reason why we're praising him. Cain caught up there, he given God his fruit offering, and he don't even believe that God has done anything for him. He's just giving it to God because that's what God, he feels like, well, I, I'm just going to do, do my own thing. He said, I got to bring him something, so let me just bring him this mess. Lord, have mercy. Help me in this place. And God was still merciful to him. He said, listen, all I'm asking you to do is bring me a lamb. He said, listen, just go back and get me a lamb. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And then he killed his brother, trying to cover up his tracks. You've got to submit to the power of God. Come on, say amen. The blood of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, lets us know that it atones for us. But the blood of Jesus, thirdly, is given by God himself. It is a blood sacrifice that is given by God. In other words, God supplied the need. Come on, say amen. 
He says in Leviticus that he has given blood to us as an atonement for us. Jesus supplied the need. Come on, say amen. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, when Abraham took his son up to Mount Moriah, are y'all with me? And he was about to kill his son in order to please God. Are y'all with me? God held his hand. I wish I had help in here. He said, no, you can't kill your son because he ain't good enough. He's not efficacious enough. What I need you to do is go get you a lamb over there, a ram caught in the thicket, because that ram represents my son who's going to die for your son and you too. Somebody say amen. He said, so you ain't got to kill your son. Come on, say amen. He said, my son is going to die for you. Somebody say hallelujah. I just wanted you to feel how I felt. Come on, say amen. I wanted you to know what it's like to lose your son. Aren't you glad you don't have to give your son up for your sin? Lord, have mercy. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for being an atonement for me. All I'm saying, saints of God, is that the blood of Jesus takes our place so that we don't have to take our own place. Jesus takes our place, and then we take his thought. Boy, that's an awesome thought. Come on, say amen. The second reason that Jesus is worthy, according to Revelation, is that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll because of his saving power. Revelation 5 and verse 9 says this, They sung a new song, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. In other words, Jesus can save anybody. Jesus don't care what color you are. He don't care where you are in the hierarchy of human mindset. He don't care how much money you have. He don't care what part of Cleveland you live on. I wish I had a help in here. He don't care. All he cares about is do you believe in me? He said I can, I can save out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I don't care what you've done because I've done more. Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what it's like to be held under ransom? Do you know what it's like, ladies and gentlemen, to have the devil waving your sins in front of you over and over and over again? Do you know what that's like? To have the devil show you yourself in the mirror and say, see, look at you. You think you all that. You ain't nothing. God doesn't love you and neither do I. And he shows you your sin over and over again so you can go and sin again and give up on God. That's called being held under ransom. But I want you to know that Jesus bridged the gap between us and God. Come on, say amen. amen. Our sins may have separated us from God, but Jesus' blood bridged the gap. Jesus saves us from our sins. Somebody say hallelujah today. And I'm just here to testify that Jesus can save anybody. He can save whoever, everybody. 
anybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. Jesus can save you. He can cleanse you from the inside out. He said he has redeemed us. In other words, he paid the price to set us free. And I want you to know, saints of God, that listen, listen to me, listen to me. Are y'all listening to me today? This is the devil's only weapon. He's got one weapon. How many weapons does he have, everybody? One weapon. He's got one weapon. And the only weapon the devil has is this. He has the ability to lie to you. That's all he's got. He has the, he has the ability to come to you and tell you, Jesus didn't. He died for everybody else, but he didn't die for you. That's his one game. That's everything he's got is lies. Are y'all with me today? But I'm so glad that we serve a God full of truth. Come on, say amen. A God who tells me that no matter what I've done, he covers me with his life whiter than snow. His blood covers me. Come on, say amen. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, the cross means everything to the Christian. The cross means everything. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, Paul said, listen, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross means everything. Come on, say amen. And there are churches today who don't want to even uplift the cross. There are churches today who don't even want to talk about the cross. All they want to do is talk about good and and wonderful things and praising God. And we don't even know why we praising God. Listen, we need to know what it took for us to get saved. We need to know that it took a Savior, a Son of the living God, stuck on a tree for us. I will never stop preaching the cross. The cross means everything. Come on, say amen out there. And I want you to know, saints of God. The cross saved me, and the cross can save you. Yes, it can. It's an ugly cross, but it's a healing cross. It's a bloody cross, but it's a cleansing cross. A cross, ladies and gentlemen, the cross represents our sins, but it also represents our redemption in Jesus. Somebody say amen. Jesus has the power to redeem us. The Bible says that Jesus redeemed every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Nobody's left out of the salvation process with Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says in 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somebody say amen. Jesus is worthy because he's willing to save everybody, no matter who they are or what they've done. He's worthy, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, we've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body as well as your spirit. Somebody say hallelujah today. You are bought with a price. You do not own yourself. Because we've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Bible says in 2 Corinthians, this is what I love, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if any man then is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away and everything is made, what everybody? Totally new. Somebody say hallelujah today. 
That's why, ladies and gentlemen, even if you're not married and you've had premarital sex, when you come to Jesus, you become a virgin again. Because you've been made new. I wish I had help up in here. Oh, yes. Jesus makes us new. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that it's all about Jesus, period. It's about Jesus and only Jesus. Nobody else can change us like Jesus. Nobody else can change our hearts. I read to you earlier that our hearts are deceitful and separate and desperately wicked. In other words, your heart will deceive you into believing that you're better than what you really are. That's how bad you are. That's why you need a new heart. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that God can't even deal with your old heart? He's got to take that heart and throw it out. He's got to give you a new heart because you're so jacked up and messed up, toe up from the flow up that Jesus said, I can't even work with that. What I need is a whole new animal, a whole new creature. I wish I had help in here. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have no problem telling you I'm a son of the living God. Hallelujah. Because I've been created new in his image. Somebody say amen. Lastly, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why Jesus is worthy to open the book and to control earth's final destiny is because Jesus sets us up to be a blessing. Notice Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 10. Are you with me today? Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 10. And has made us, the reason why he's worthy, he has made us unto our God kings and what everybody? priests and we shall reign on the earth hallelujah this is this is a a restatement ladies and gentlemen of revelation chapter one and verse six which says and he hath made us kings in the kingdom and priests of god and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen What a unique privilege it is that is revealed to us here. In ancient times, it was considered a blessing to just be set free. If you were trapped and you were enslaved, if somebody just came and set you free, you were already blessed. But Jesus does more than set us free. Jesus sets us free and then he sets us up. I wish I had help in here. Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, sets us up as priests, the Bible says, and kings. Hallelujah. He sets us free and sets us up. He gives us a place with him in his kingdom. He positions us as priests who rule with his monarchy. An unprecedented move, to say the least. To those of us, ladies and gentlemen, who are faithful to the call of Christ, Jesus will make them a kingdom of priests. These faithful and loyal rulers will reign with him in the new millennium. And because we've received his divine grace into our hearts, it is our privilege now to present spiritual sacrifices before the throne room of his grace. Now that he's made us priests, we can approach his throne with confidence. I don't need a man to go for me. I can go for myself. Somebody say hallelujah today. Because we are a kingdom of priests. I can go straight to the throne myself. Boy, I wish I had help in here. 
I remember years ago when Barack Obama was first made president. They did an expose on the, on the first black president. Y'all with me? And uh, when he got in there, they, you know, they, they, uh, uh, Barack led them all throughout the entire White House everywhere. And it was an amazing thing. But one thing I noticed as my wife and I were watching this special is that uh, Barack had brought with him into the White House a lot of his friends and people he knew that were coming along with him along the way. Are y'all with me? So he's the president, but his friends and homies are with him in the White House. <laughs> are y'all with me today? So they believed in his leadership. Are y'all with me today? And they believed in his presidency. And because they were loyal to him before he got there, he brought them with him into the presidency of the White House. And ladies and gentlemen, these, these guys, they the same. They ain't no different than when they first got there. Are y'all with me? They just his friends. But now they can talk to the president like they talking to a friend. Are y'all with me today? So ladies and gentlemen, they are his friends. So if they have a problem or if their friends have a problem, they can go right to the top and talk to the press to get the supply of whatever needs to be done. I wish I had help in here. And like it was for them, so it is with the church. If the church would just believe in Jesus, if the church would just believe in the King of Kings, if the church would just believe in his salvation and his powerful blood to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, then ladies and gentlemen, we can ask Jesus for whatever we want and he'll give it to us no matter what we ask. Because we were with him before he got, I wish I had help in here. Now that he's there, he can hook us up. He makes us priests and kings. We can pray to him and we can receive great and mighty actions from his throne because he is a great and mighty God. I wish I had help in here. That's why we shouldn't have any problem. I heard the message earlier today. The preacher, the elder preached earlier today talking about audacious prayers. Are y'all with me today? Where Joshua just asked God, he said, God, uh, look, I'm in the middle of this battle. I need you to stop the sun for a little while. I ain't through whipping up all these. Are y'all with me today? I ain't through whipping some heads. So just give me a little more time. Hang the sun up in the sky for a little bit longer. That's called audacious prayers. Are y'all with me? That's called out of your mind prayers. That's called this is Jesus prayer. Come on, say amen. I'm not talking to my friend down the street. I'm not talking to my homeboy. I'm not even talking to the governor. I'm talking about to the king of the kings and the Lord of all lords. I'm talking to the king of all the universe. God, stop the sun. And the Bible says he did. Come on, say amen. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know, but scientists have found that there is a missing space in time. 
They say they can't figure it out, but it's about the space of an hour or so. They can't find, it's just like lost time. I know what happened to it. The sun got stopped. I wish I had help up in here because Jesus can do whatever he wants. He can stop the rotation of the world. Come on, say amen. Just so you can whip up on your enemies just a little bit more. That's a good God. Come on, say amen. That's a mighty God. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something else about Jesus? Can I tell you something else about Jesus? In the spirit of prophecy. Desire of Ages, page 131. Spirit of Prophecy says that, and I'm just going to paraphrase, it says that when we get up to glory and when we stand in the throne room where Jesus is, when we're standing in the throne room where Jesus left, are y'all with me? When we're standing in the throne room and see the gloriousness of God and everything that transpires inside of the throne room, see all of the angels saying, holy, holy, holy. When we see, ladies and gentlemen, the rainbow over the throne that's looking like an emerald. I wish I had help in here. And they say, holy, holy. They say, she said, when we see what Jesus gave up for us, That's when we're going to cast our crowns off of our head and throw them before him. And you know what we're going to say? We're going to say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Somebody say hallelujah today. To receive power and glory and wisdom and honor and strength and blessing. Somebody say hallelujah today. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want you to know this, ladies and gentlemen. As you read here, it says, worthy is the lamb to receive power and strength. Are y'all with me? The word strength there in the original language means to have not just dunamis power. Dunamis power is the word power, which means to have power on hand right now. It means explosive power. But the word for strength there is the word exus. It means, ladies and gentlemen, to have power in reserve. That means when you run out of dunamis power, you still got some backup. I wish I had help up in here. Yes, Jesus. They, listen, the Bible says that when, the, that when they begin to praise Jesus in the throne room. Are y'all with me today? The entire universe says we want to give everything that we have to offer to this one person. Jesus. We want to give him all the power. All the glory. We want to give him even power in reserve. We want to give him all the treasury. We want to give him everything that we can give. We want to give it to Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah today. Now the question is, why in the world would they do that? We have a governmental system, amen? It is a division of powers. It's called a democracy. 
Am I right or am I wrong about it? And we've got three branches. How many branches in government? Three branches. We've got the presidential, we got the legislative, and then we've got the what? Judicial. The judicial. We've got three powers separated from one another. Am I right or am I wrong about it? We don't have no king. You know why? Because nobody can be trusted with all power. Are y'all with me? We love Barack. Come on, say amen. Wonderful person, great things. Love his family, beautiful family. But I ain't ready to give him everything. I'm not ready to give him all power over me. Are y'all with me? He can't have all the money. He can't have all the power. You can forget that. You know why? Because he's still a man with a deceitful heart that can't be trusted. Are you with me today? That's why he got to have a legislative branch to balance his little power out. I wish I had help up in here. You can't give a man all power because he's wicked from the inside out. So here they are in glory and they're saying, give this one man, Jesus, everything. Why would they say that? Why would they say, give him everything. Give him all power. Give him all glory. Give him all honor. Give him all the riches. Give him the treasury. Give him all the banks. Give him whatever he wants. Gee, I wonder why they would do that. You know why? You know why they would do that, my brother? Because when Jesus had all power, he gave it all up in order to save his king. Somebody say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. See, Jesus already had all power. He don't need to ask you or anybody else. But when he had it all, he gave it all up just for you and just for me. He laid down his treasures. He laid down his kingdom only so that he could come down and be just like you and me and trade his place with my place. So you know what? Because he gave it up for me, I'm willing to give it up for him. Whatever he wants, he can have it. If he wants my money, give it to him. Are you with me? If he wants my time, give it to him. If he wants my shoes, let him have it. Whatever he wants, let him have it. Because I can trust him with everything now. When he had it all, he gave it all up. So I can trust that he'll do whatever he needs to do to bless me. Somebody say amen. That's why I don't have no problem doing whatever he asks. Come on, say amen. Saints, he gave it all up for us. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So listen, he just asks us. He asks us to give our lives as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. He says, I don't even want you to die. I actually want you to live. I just want my spirit to live in you. Come on, say amen. And when we do that, saints, we will receive the masterful blessing of being priests and kings before the throne of his grace. How many want to be a priest and a king up in here today? Somebody say hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. Jesus will serve you. Jesus will do whatever you ask. 
because you are the greatest of the great. You're the mightiest of the mighty. You are the largest and most magnanimous Savior ever. We thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior today. Father God, I pray right now somebody needs to give their life to you today. I ask God that they would see Jesus for who he is and see themselves for who they are. And I pray God give them the ability to submit to you today. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. Somebody needs to give their life today. Come on, come on. I don't even have time. I'm not even playing today. Come on, come on. You know who you are. You know exactly who you are. You know exactly who you are. You want to say, Jesus, you gave it up for me? I'm going to give it all up for you. Because I can trust you.